Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on Metacritic's top 100 list. My name is Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the only Final Fantasy game on the Metacritic top 100 list. We're going to talk about this because um, on Friday, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1 comes out. So we thought it'd be a good time to discuss it. So, um, I wanted to start off by looking at some of the Metacritics of the other Final Fantasy games. Now, you're a big fan of the series, so I want to get your opinion on uh, some of these. Okay. See how you feel about them. All right. Okay, so Final Fantasy VI, what do you think that got uh, Metacritic-wise? If you'd have a guess. A lot of people say that Final Fantasy VI is the best one. Um, and it's definitely up there, but I feel that list, this list is going to probably not be in line with what I think. Um, so, are we, are we talking aggregate scores that we think they got? Yeah, what, what do you think the ag- aggregate score for Final Fantasy um, VI is? Probably in 80s, 70s, 80s. Um, so I'll tell you where it is. Uh, so this is not the PS1 version. Or yeah. this is Super NES. This is not even the Super Nintendo version because, as we discussed before, the the way Metacritic does things, it only goes back so far. Yeah. So a lot of the older games are missing off the list. Um, so this is actually the GBA version, and the okay. GBA version scored an aggregate score of ninety-two. So what do you think about that? Okay. Um... I've I've only played the the PlayStation port of it, but I know that it was originally released on the Super Famicom and the Fam- uh, and the Super NES. Um, I knew that there was a GBA port, but I've never really liked handheld ports of games besides a few. Um, but in the nineties, sounds about right because Final Fantasy VI is classed as one of the the best Final Fantasy games, if not the best, for the characters and the story. So I'd say that's right, if not a little low. Yeah, I've heard I've heard from a lot of people that this is one of the contenders for the best Final Fantasy game. Yeah. Okay, we're going to jump straight to the game that I know is your favourite Final Fantasy game. That is Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation. So what do you think the aggregate score on Metacritic was for this one? I don't think it will be as high as Final Fantasy VI. So I'll say maybe 88. Uh, Again, it was a 92 on Metacritic. Okay, right, fair enough. I'm guessing that's the PS1. Um, This is the PS1 version, yeah, Yeah, it got a 92. Yeah, it's fair. So, um, until later in its life, so that makes sense. So this was 97, uh, Final Fantasy VII was released, wasn't it? Yeah, 1997. Yeah, so it was around this time where you start to see, um, the aggregate scores coming into play, really. Mm. You start to get them on Metacritic games from around 1997 onwards. But how accurate they were in 1997 um, is up for debate, I think. Um, okay, so let's jump to Final Fantasy VIII on the PlayStation. What do you think the aggregate score was for this one? Lower than both. I'm going to say that this probably late 80s, at most 90. Why do you say it was lower than both? Um, 
Final Fantasy VIII is probably one of my least favourites in the franchise, so it's coming from a personal point, I'd say. Um, but as well received as it was, I don't think that Final Fantasy VIII went down as well um, as Final Fantasy VI and Seven did. Yeah, so you're right. It, it was um, a Metacritic score of 90. Mm. I think biggest complaints being that it changed a lot of the formula. Yeah, I, I've i never particularly got on well with Final Fantasy VIII, but one of my best mates who you've, who, who you've met, Joe, it's his favourite, and I started playing the remaster probably about six months ago, and he came over to see how I was getting on. And I, I think Final Fantasy VIII is quite complicated because it's got a junction system that I find quite hard to get to grips with. And he looked and he was like, you've completely screwed this game up. You, sh- you should just start from the beginning again. I was <laughs> like, what? <laughs> So, yeah, I've never really got on with number eight. But I think it's decent, but it's never really been... So this is one I mentioned to you when I was playing um, nine. This is one that I want to actually um, have a playthrough of. I've not actually played it. Oh, you've never played it, have you? No, and it it looks interesting to me. And there is, um, shall we say, a remaster of this game that's been released. It's not hugely better graphics, but it does look better. Yeah, it does. Uh, That's what I've been playing. I've played the original. I quite like the art style of this one as well. Yeah, it's good. It looks um, it looks a lot cleaner, um, just in the in terms of the in-game graphics. The FMVs still look as similar as they would do because FMVs don't really change, but the in-game graphics are a lot better, I'd say. Yeah, I think when you see um, FMVs on HD TVs, yeah, they don't look great because the resolution that they were recorded in. Is a significantly lower than a HD TV. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, so we're gonna jump straight to Final Fantasy X. Okay. I know this is not one of your favourites. This is my least. So, favorite. so Final Fantasy X on the PS2. What do you think the Metacritic score was for that? Eighty-eight. Uh, a bit low. It was actually 92 as well, so it actually equaled oh, 6 and 7, get out. according to critics. Now, I think when this game came out, uh, critics loved it. I think there's been a bit of a backlash since then, um, but you still get people that love this game. I, I love this game. This was my first Final Fantasy game. I'm, I think I'm it's the, a very good game. I'm the only person I know that doesn't like Final Fantasy X. <laughs> like, I know. I mean, if you, if you go on YouTube, you can definitely hear... Um, there's a lot of people that uh, are not so fond of it, but I mean, I'll go into later why I like it uh, when we're comparing it to nine. Yeah. Um, all right. So Final Fantasy Ten Two. What do you think that got? I've never played Ten Two. I know that it's um, it's it's a continuation, isn't it, of yeah Final Fantasy Ten, and also I I found this information out yesterday that there's a link to Final Fantasy 7 in Final Fantasy 10 too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I I only found it out yesterday. What I thought was uh, I thought was quite interesting. Um I don't think this one is, was as highly rated as Final Fantasy 10 from what I know of it. Like I say I've never played it. So if Final Fantasy 10 was 92, I'm going to give this one like mid 80s, 80, 86 87. Oh, you're so close. Uh, so this one got an 85. Ooh. So this is the first drop yeah. into the 80s for the Final Fantasy series. Mm. Obviously not including the very old games which don't have yeah, yeah. aggregate scores. Um, okay, Final Fantasy 12. This one is a very mixed one for fans. 
Yeah, you, you've played this one, haven't you? I've never. I don't know anything about Final Fantasy Twelve other than the, uh, the the video that we watched on YouTube of that guy dressing up like the main character <laughs> on Mega Sixty Four. I don't know anything about Number Twelve, but I've heard that it's mixed in terms of reception. So critics did not think it was mixed. They gave it a ninety-two again. So this seems to be the score that yeah, everyone is going to. Um, so Final Fantasy Twelve, it's a good game. The the mechanics are really solid, but it's the story is just it feels half finished, right? Which is my issue with it. Okay. Um, I think they had to rush it. I think the development time was a bit rushed for this one. Okay, okay. we're gonna jump to. This is where the Final Fantasy series gets even more polarizing. Um, Final Fantasy Thirteen on 80. the PS3. Eighty. Again, close. It was 83 this got. Okay. I think this is easily the worst one in the franchise. I've played about 15, 20 hours of it, but I, I never finished it. I thought it was trash. See, I know this has been... Um, you can now play this on Xbox One, and I have thought about it because it's got... Um, they've released a patch so that it upreses all the uh, graphics and that. So okay. I'd be interested to see that and maybe give it a go, but... With these games, they're very long games, so it's all about what yeah. time you've got. True. Um, okay, so jumping straight to... We're going to skip 14 because it's an online game. Yeah. Um, jumping straight to 15, what do you think that got? I really enjoy 15. I think 15 is really good. A lot of my friends aren't as keen on it as a game. I think it's decent. It's a lot shorter than the other ones. Um, what would I say? I'm, I'll, I'll go with 90. So, actually, it's the lowest yet. It got 81 no way. as an aggregate score. Wow. So, if you look at the numbers... That just tells me I've got bad taste. I mean, well, <laughs> these are these are critic scores. Critics look for certain things when yeah, they're playing they their games. They may not be the same as what you're looking for. Mm. Um, but we do see, according to critics, a degradation of the Final Fantasy series. Yeah. Now, I do wonder if that's an actual degradation in quality or if people were just getting a bit fed up with the formula. I mean, they, they chopped and changed the formula as they went along, and Final Fantasy XV is very different from the other games because they just they took away the active time battle thing they had in there. You know, there are a lot of different changes in there, and it was... I understand what people didn't like about Final Fantasy XV because throughout most of the Final Fantasy games, you start with a couple of people in your squad and then as you go through the game, you pick up more people and you end up with a squad of about, you know, eight, seven, eight people. With Final Fantasy XV, it's the same four people in your squad all the time where someone else will join you for a little bit but then leave. And people say that Final Fantasy XV's characters just felt like a bit of a weird emo boy band um, going on a road trip, which... I recognise as an opinion. Like I, I get where it's coming from, but I'd say you've not played fifteen, have you? No, this is this is one I've had for years. It's been in my pile for years. But mm. whenever when I'm gonna play it, I don't know. <laughs> fifteen has possibly one of the most epic gaming moments that I've ever experienced. Um it's about halfway through the game when you fight Leviathan. The um the summon the sea monster and honestly oh, the yeah. music and the gameplay it's just insane i remember playing it, i was like oh my god this is something <laughs> but I, I i can understand why people don't like it especially as a final fantasy game but i thought it was pretty decent to be honest 
So I look forward to playing that Leviathan fight in five years when I finally pick this one up, or when I finally play it. As you, as 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 I don't know if we mentioned it actually. So this game, um, Final Fantasy IX, this got a Metacritic score of ninety four, mm. um, and it was what number on the list was it? Number sixty eight. Number sixty eight on the list. So this is really far and away the best Final Fantasy according to critics. Um, so what do you think about that? It's I, I've got my own theory on this, and I've discussed it with you previously, in that there's a lot of different things with Final Fantasy IX that you know I've I've found that it was the lowest selling mainline Final Fantasy game since the games went 3D. And there's a lot Didn't of different that. yeah there's a lot of different reasons why Final Fantasy IX I don't think is as popular as the other ones, but my thoughts for why it's on this list is the game came out in the year two thousand, which was obviously when Metacritic um, aggregate scores were becoming a bit more you know tuned and a bit more you know up there, and I f- I feel that Final Fantasy IX probably came out at the right time when these reviews were, you know, coming in because they weren't doing, you know, they weren't going back in time to play games to get aggregate scores for Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII. This was a game that came out. No, I mean, the way Metacritic, uh, the the way, sorry, the the way Metacritic works is that um, it, I think beyond a certain point or it only takes certain reviewers, but you can't, if someone was to do a review for, say, Final Fantasy VII now, yeah. it would not count against that Metacritic score, which exactly. is why um, Ocarina of Time's 99 is always going to be untouched. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just feel with Final Fantasy IX, it's a decent game. Like It's very good, but when you compare it to others in the series, I don't think it's as good as the other ones, if that makes sense. Um, but... At the same time, you know, we are where we are. This is the only Final Fantasy game on the list. And for, to some extent, it's it's on this list for a reason. You know, it's, it's a good game. But I, 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 I come at this game with a different kind of um, view to you because you'd not played this one before. Whereas no. I played this when it first came out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one for me because... Like I say, I, I don't think it deserves... I won't say I don't think it deserves to be on the list, but I don't think it deserves to be the only Final Fantasy game on the list, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's good to have some representation of Final Fantasy on the list, even if it's not the game that everyone would pick. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to give a bit of context here. Um, Final Fantasy VI was re-reviewed for the PS4, in its, uh, I wouldn't say remaster because it's not really a remaster. No. They've um, polished things up a bit, and it got an eighty-five. Okay. Now, having played it from a zero nostalgia perspective, oh, did you just say? Are you talking about Final Fantasy six or nine? Because you said six. Oh, sorry. So this is Final Fantasy nine when it was uh, when it was when it was re-released on the PS4. Um, it got a new score. Of 85. Got you. Okay, right. I'm with you. Yeah, so this is more the ballpark where I would put the game, having had zero nostalgia for the game. This is around the level that I would put it at. I think, as a genre, Japanese RPGs have not 
aged tremendously well because you play a game from 2000, you play a game from earlier, and you play a game from 2010, say, and the changes, the development of the genre is not as big as, say, other genres. So I think there's no real evolution there. And I imagine that a game identical to this coming out today would not score the same because we've had leaps and leaps, well, no, sorry, we've had loads and loads of JRPGs following the exact same formula come out since then. Uh, And at the time, I think it was helped by originality. Well, Final Fantasy IX came out at a weird time because the three Final Fantasy games that were originally released on the PS1 being 7, 8, and 9, they were very different from the original games because, as we briefly mentioned in the, I think it was the Tony Hawk episode, that up until Final Fantasy VII, Squaresoft, as it was then, just worked with Nintendo. And then when Final Fantasy VII came out, they decided to move over to the PlayStation due to the amount of disc space um, that would be needed to power the game because Final Fantasy VII is three discs, Final Fantasy VIII and IX are four discs. And I think when they were looking at putting Final Fantasy VII on the N64, it was going to be the the disc... um, What's the disc add-on for the N64 called? DD. Uh, The N64 disc drive, yes. Um, And I think compared to the uh, PS1, where it only needed to be three discs, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere and I'll double-check it before we put this episode out, but for the N64 DD, it would need to be over 25 discs for Final Fantasy VII, which... I think that probably sounds closer to what it would be if they used cartridges. cartridges. It might be that. I might be getting my facts mixed up. Um, But Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII took the franchise in a very, very different direction. Because Final Fantasy VII, you play as eco-terrorists in this dingy city and it's, you know, technologies involved. Final Fantasy VIII, you're playing as a broody high school, military high school uh, guy and it's it's set either present or in the future. Whereas Final Fantasy IX came out about a year before Final Fantasy X. So obviously people were very excited for Final Fantasy X because it was the first look at a Final Fantasy game on the next generation of consoles being on the PS2. And Final Fantasy IX came out at a weird time. And I see Final Fantasy IX as being, one, a celebration of how far the games had come since getting onto the PlayStation. Because if you look at the graphics of Final Fantasy VII compared to Final Fantasy IX, the graphics are ridiculous you know cloud in final fantasy 7 he's got these blocky arms and you know no face and then final fantasy 9 comes along and it's it's an impressive looking game did you ever see um they did a they did i don't know if it was artwork or it was a video they did um a concept for what final fantasy 7 on the n64 would look like oh n64 yeah yeah they um it looks a lot better than the ps1 version it was what did they do it it was concept art but they used um art from final fantasy 6 for it to see what it would look like on the n64 um and then from that point they decided to go the direction of working with sony and i know that that feud 
because it was a real bad breakup between the companies because Squaresoft had been working with Nintendo for years and years and the Final Fantasy games had exclusively been on the the NES, the SNES, the Famicom. And I think it was about 12 years before they worked together again because the fallout of it was just so bad. Especially... So the... Go on. The next one that I think... Um... I remember being on a Nintendo console, apart from maybe the GBA ones, because I think there were some handheld entries, um, was Crystal Chronicles on the GameCube. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was the first game that came out after the breakup. And you, That was a pretty good game. I never played it, but you can understand the... Well, not the saltiness of Nintendo, but, I mean, Final Fantasy had been a pretty successful were a very successful franchise up until the point where Squaresoft stopped working with them and then Final Fantasy came uh, Final Fantasy 7 came along and became one of the biggest things ever and that must have hurt Nintendo a little bit obviously not financially because Nintendo's Nintendo and they've got all the money in the world but you you'd want something like that on your platform wouldn't you i mean for them to go Definitely. to your to your competitor because it's known that so the PlayStation only exists because Nintendo screwed over Sony when they were looking to get a um, a disc port for the uh, for the SNES. So Sony decided to create the PlayStation. So for you know the golden child to go over to your competitor who you created, it must have hurt them. Yeah, I mean I don't know if uh, screwed over is the correct term, just because they're Japanese companies. Well, not screwed over, changed and... their mind, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think it was just a dispute on both sides that it ended up happening from what I've heard um, and it just didn't come to fruition but yeah I mean as as Japanese companies I think um, the fallout would have been in a very different way to American companies say yes and yeah they, they might have been very upset about it yeah uh, yeah so. but nowadays you can get all the historic Final Fantasies on the Switch um, they've got Final Fantasy 15 it's the one with the the models um like the what do they call those chibi what they got chibi models so basically a chibi model is um it's like something that looks like an action figure with a big head oh like and they the bobblehead things yeah so they released a, a version of Final Fantasy 15 on mobile uh, platforms which was the chibi version which is basically less graphically intensive and that came over to the switch okay. so um now the, the this rift is uh, all but healed um okay so this game got a 94 on metacritic and as we've mentioned it didn't necessarily deserve that um so let's get into some actual discussion about the game um so you've just replayed it how did you find replaying it yeah good i i never completed it back in the day so this was my first time actually finishing it myself i've okay, seen friends finish it and i've watched playthroughs of it and i think when i was younger i got to probably just over three quarters of the way through it but i never finished it so it was good to actually go back and say yep i finished this because you know it's, it's another one that i can say yeah I've experienced that now. I enjoyed it. You can I took it off the list. Yeah, I played it on the um I played the PS4 remake. So compared to how I originally played it on the PS1, the graphics are a lot better. The um 
the gameplay is a lot smoother. It's a lot smoother, a lot less clunky. Some bugs have been removed, etc. So overall, it was a pretty good experience. But obviously, that's coming from someone that has played it before. So I think the more interesting opinion will be you because you've never played it before. So what were your thoughts on it? Um, so the new versions as well, they've got a uh, little quality of life enhancements, which mm. can help you along. So they have things that you can speed up the gameplay yes. if you're having difficulty. There's also the 9,999 damage thing, yeah. which I'm presuming makes all your moves do 9,999 damage. Um, then there's also the fight assist, which I accidentally turned on for about two minutes, which I was wondering why I wasn't taking any damage so that prevents you from taking damage the there's one more as well what's what's the last one um so there's the high speed version there's the battle assist which puts you in trance mode which is like a op uh, 900 uh, 9999 damage and then safe travel mode so that you won't get any random encounters that's it yeah and there's also uh, i'm not sure if you saw it but on the settings if you go into um onto the menu and then to options there's also options to max up all of your HP and all your magic and also to oh. get um, that infinite amount of money. Money in the game is called Gil. But as soon as you turn those on, you can't turn them off again and it also locks you out from getting any trophies on the you know the PS4 or Xbox versions or whatever. Right, okay. Okay, so before I go into some of my thoughts on this, you can have different levels of nostalgia for a game. So how much nostalgia would you say you had for this game um not as much as i would do for final fantasy 7 and 8 because i played this one like with final fantasy 7 i remember very vivid things of playing that when i was a lot younger and i first remember playing final fantasy 9 um i think it was around my birthday so it'd been out for a while by that point and my dad brought it over. So I remember playing it for the first time and going through the first section of the game um, as um, as Vivi, Vivi, however you want to pronounce it, um, trying to get into the uh, trying to get into the, the theatre show. And I I remember that well. But the rest of the game, there there were areas that I remember, such as you know Princess Garnet changing her name to Dagger, her cutting her hair off. But overall, there wasn't too much that I remembered from this game. Well, why did she change her name to Dagger? I've I've seen fans talk about this as well. So she could be. Why was the name Dagger picked? Because she was holding a dagger. Yeah. And she doesn't have any imagination. <laughs> it's just such a clumsy name. I think it's real badass, real badass name. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I had zero nostalgia for this. I'm still trying to work out how I think about this. So what, what, you only what finished I'll do it today, is, um, didn't you? yeah, literally today, um, I was, uh, I was doing the, the final boss. I, f- I got to the final boss last night, but I thought I'm not going to do it now. Um, so about three, four hours ago, I was just working through to the final boss. I got to the very final boss, which was Necron. Yeah. I think Necron. it's called. And I thought I, I tried it a few times and I thought, I'm going to not finish this on time because I haven't done the the planning. Uh, so I think I did a few things wrong in my playthrough. This is this is the thing. You said it with um, Final Fantasy VIII. With these games, you can actually go wrong uh, with certain aspects. So what I initially did when I first started playing, 
I wasn't buying any new weapons. Right. So I was still using the very first weapons yeah. from the beginning of the game. And I wasn't optimizing my um, my equipment. Right. And I got to a boss a certain way through. And I struggled with it more than I probably should have done because I was still using those very basic weapons. Mm. Uh, then I bought some weapons and I was just destroying for a while. So I learned that. And then I obviously learned to use abilities, which are things that can basically give you perks when you're in battle. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't do was unlock a wide number of abilities. So probably abilities that would have helped me in the final bosses, I hadn't unlocked, so I couldn't use them. So for example, that final boss, he does like... Three, three moves in quick succession and he seems to take turns constantly. Uh, but what you would use to counter that is you'd use haste to basically speed up your own characters or you'd use slow to slow him down. I didn't have those, so I had to struggle through without them. The The time that I actually did it, it was the fifth time that I tried it and I said to myself before I did it, oh, this is going to be my last try. I'm not going not gonna to mess around with this. I'll just have to say that I got to the final boss and... I'm going to do it afterwards, which I would have done. Mm. But um, I got to that bit and all I had left was Steiner by that time. Right. Everyone else had been wiped out. <laughs> and the the final boss uses uh, protection to stop you from doing damage to him. But that had worn off amazingly. And Steiner's attack started doing more damage again. And I didn't have to spell either. So anyone that knows about all these JRPG tropes and stats will know what i'm talking about um so luckily i was i was fully expecting myself to die but i got that final hit in and i thought oh thank god for that but bear in mind as well with these games i I, I was watching a video earlier where it was saying that the inclusion of speeding the game up and you know adding all these perks so you can do max damage every hit on these on on enemies etc I think in the 90s games especially JRPGs they were they were there to basically be a massive time sink whereas yeah. in 2020 we don't have the patience for that kind of thing like playing through this game again now I mostly used the speed up thing um so I was I was still reading everything that was going on but it just meant that my travel was quicker the battles would be over quicker Stuff like that. So that was the only perk that I used was the fact that I sped the game up. I didn't use any of the, um, you know, any of the, the battle enhancers or anything like that. But in the 90s, I think it was more expected that you would spend, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours on these games doing the side quests, doing all the side stuff to level your character up, to get the extra equipment, and then do the final boss to make it a bit easier. But people playing it now, people in 2020 or beyond or in the last few years, we don't have the patience to do that kind of thing. Well, very few people have the patience to do that kind of thing. And I think the inclusion of speeding the game up and adding these these battle perks was so people could experience the story and it wouldn't take 70 hours because, I mean, Square included these things in the game because they know people don't want to spend that amount of time on a game from 20 years ago. They just want to know what the story is, you know, have a few perks here and there and enjoy it rather than spend hours and hours and hours and hours on it, you know? Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think gaming is 
still quite a young medium. Yeah. So those people that were children when they were playing at the time, they're now adults. So when you're an adult, you just don't have as much free time. Uh, as gamers grow older, time becomes less. So I did occasionally use the uh, the speed up uh, when I was grinding for levels because it was just tedious otherwise. And there's something else about this game that um, battles just go really slowly. Animations are really slow. Yeah, they're it just a lot takes slower than seven ages. A lot slower than seven. Yeah, big time. And it really can get tedious sometimes. So having that feature just um, moves things along quite quickly when you need it to. And I think we are becoming more impatient as gamers. Mm. Things that I would spend hours and hours and hours doing when I was a kid, I would no way do now. No. Uh, I completed this game in 36 hours, I think. Right. Um, I think back then the completion time of, the, of this was 50 hours plus. Yeah, 50, 60 hours. And they filled it with uh, side quests and all sorts of other stuff to keep you coming back. And when you unlock the airship, you can see flying around the world, there's so much hidden stuff in there. Mm. And I applaud them for that because it's generous. Nowadays, you barely get a complete game, whereas they put all this extra content in there. It's the thing as well that back in the day, they'd put that content in. And then if you didn't do it, then you just missed it. But now I think game devs are so concerned that you might miss some content that there isn't the option that you can you know miss hours worth of content if you if you just go past it or you don't decide to do it they want to make sure that all of their work is noticed is taken into consideration and that's not a blanket statement for all games but a fair amount of AAA games these days they'll hold your hand i mean you look at games like gta 5 where there's always a checkpoint marker or you have to do stuff in a certain way, otherwise you're not going to experience the game. And that's especially true of games like Red Dead Redemption 2 as well. You have to do it to the T. So you can't do, um, say, there's a list of things you have to do, 1, 2, and 3. You can't do it in any order, such as 2, 3, 1. You have to do it in that specific order or you can't proceed. Whereas with games from back in the day, there would be ways that you could do stuff in different orders and you could miss stuff if you didn't look for it you know yeah i think development teams have ballooned in the past Mm. say 10 20 years and because of that each thing within the game instead of having one person work on it say it's got 20 people 30 people working on it so they can't really afford for you to miss things nowadays and also that additional content would probably be monetized nowadays as well exactly yeah it's ridiculous so We've been going for almost 35 minutes and we've not even discussed the story or the characters. Um, right. We we said before we started this episode, we thought this will probably be quite a long one because it's a big game. And also we kind of wanted to touch on all of the other Final Fantasy stuff um, because re- really this will be one of the only opportunities we get in this podcast to discuss Final Fantasy because this is the only one on the list. Yeah. Um, so in terms... So strap in, you're in for a long while. Yeah. In terms of the story then... It's. We discussed this before recording. We can't describe the whole story because it's just so bloody long. Um, I feel we should start with the characters, and then go from yeah. there. So, the game starts as I said with other Final Fantasy games. You usually start with a couple of people, and then as you go along, you get more people to join your party. And at the end of the game, you've got seven or eight people. 
the game starts with a character called Zidane, who is he's like a weird little monkey boy, isn't he? He's got a tail. Uh, <laughs> That's a great description. Little, little monkey boy, yeah. He's got a tail, um, and he's part of a group called um, Tantalus or Tantalus, who are basically thieves, and they are planning to kidnap the princess of Alexandria, Princess Garnet. Um, and you know steal her because they've been charged to do so by the regent of another kingdom called Lindblom so you've got Zidane who you play as for a short amount of time at the start you then move over to Vivi who is a black mage black mages are a staple of Final Fantasy they've been in a lot of the earlier games as well and he's like he's basically like a boy isn't he yeah he's like a little he's like a little wizard boy so we've got a little monkey boy and a little wizard boy <laughs> um, and I'd say that the story of Final Fantasy 9 focuses almost as much on Vivi's story and character development as it does with Zidane I think that Vivi's the second main character in this game in terms of the story and where it goes with him what, what would you say to that? Yeah I think Vivi's got a really interesting story arc, which they really dig into. Yeah. So Vivi is a black mage. What we find out later on, without going into too much detail, is that Vivi's race, which is the black mages, have a limited lifespan. So, first of all, Vivi's trying to come to terms with why other black mages seem to be helping out the quote-unquote bad guys. And then he's trying to um, work out how do you live your life when you know it's coming to an end within a certain amount of time? What do you do? Do you try and extend it or do you try and enjoy the time that you've got? And they kind of do conclude that. And it's a really nice story. And it's something that certainly back then was not touched on very often. Yeah. The, The thing I like about this game is that pretty much all the characters bar maybe one or two have a whole <laughs> Kina. character arc. Yeah, Kina and Amaran. <laughs> um, so you've got Vivi. Um, another character that then comes along not long after that is one of the princess's bodyguards, Adelbert Steiner, who you mentioned earlier. He is captain of the Knights of Pluto. So he's basically a knight within the castle who his main struggle throughout the game is I think loyalty and figuring out who he should be loyal to as a person yeah. with his servitude and doing the right thing. So you've got Steiner. Then after that, um, obviously I've mentioned Princess Garnet. She's the, the mark to be um, kidnapped. It, however, turns out that she wants to be kidnapped because she doesn't like uh, the amount of control that her mother has within the kingdom, Queen Bran. Um, <laughs> I knew you were gonna laugh at that. <laughs> bit, bit, bit of background. Uh, Me and Dan watched a film about two years ago. Is it called The Boy? <laughs> yeah. So we watched a film called The Boy, and it's about a little. It's like a horror film, and it's about a little doll. <laughs> it's about a little doll boy called Brands. <laughs> About three or four days ago, I messaged him saying Queen Brands, 
and he, I, I knew as soon as I mentioned Queen Bran, he would just immediately think of the little boy Brans. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. Can't, can't even function. So there you go. Listen, I'm you're crying. Now, you're now in on the inside joke. So, so if Brons. I if I call Queen Brass Queen Brass, now you know why at least. Oh, this is a mess. Oh dear. <laughs> so yeah, the princess wants to be kidnapped. Other characters that you meet throughout the game: um, Freya, who is a Burmesian. Um, I think it's Dragon Knight. Um, the Burmesians are like a anthropomorphic rat. Yeah. Race. Um, so you've got Freya, who her main character struggle is through um, like a lost love. Um, you know, she. I didn't think her story was very well handled. Not much. Kind of. Um, I like the way that it ended. But yeah, it starts off quite nicely, and then there's a long period where you don't hear anything, and then it suddenly ends, and she's reunited with her lost love. Yeah. Then from there you've got uh, Kina or Queena, however you want to pronounce it, which she's like. <laughs> they're, they're they're a really weird race. Um, I don't know what her race is called, but they're basically like they're genderless. So throughout the game, whenever anyone references Kina, they put he slash she. And yes. everyone has got a really deep character arc, whereas Kina just wants to travel the world to eat food. She just is in a cook's outfit. She's got a massive tongue. He, she has got a massive tongue and is just there to eat food. That's it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's purely there for comedy reasons. Yeah. And the other thing is, throughout the story, your group of uh, characters will separate from Kina and she'll suddenly turn up in the place where you are because she, she, she is just purely there for comedy. And it, and it does work and it's some light relief. There's a bit later on where she's swimming and she sees the fish and then she realises it's in her imagination so she gets upset because she wants to eat the fish. Sounds relatable to be honest with you. Okay. That's that's probably the extent of the depth of the character. Yeah. And then the final two, you've got Iko or Iko, um, who is a six-year-old girl who is a summoner, who her main character arc is that she just doesn't want to be lonely. And she finds the rest of the the crew and goes with them to, you know, basically so she isn't on her own anymore because she's the last of a race race of, well, you think is the last of a race of summoners. And then finally, you've got Amaranth, who is, his arc's weird. He doesn't really have much of one. He is picked up as a bounty hunter by the Queen to go and capture Princess Garnet to... Um, bring her back to the castle so that the queen can do some evil stuff to her and Amaranth loses to Zidane and then he's like oh, well, I've lost you can kill me and Zidane's like no it's fine we've we've had a fight and we're both healthy so that's good enough isn't it and Amaranth can't quite get his head around the fact that he's lost to someone and you know they're not they're not willing to kill him so he goes with the gang I think to you know to I, d- I don't really know with Amaranth he's a weird character I've, I've, I actually, I'm going to counter what you're saying oh. because I think, in a way, he's, he's one of the most interesting characters because oh, yeah, definitely. 
His motivations are not clear. There's obviously something going on behind the character, but you never really find out what it is. Surely it's more interesting to have a character that it isn't obvious that he's searching for food or <laughs> yeah, whatever else. Um, and that he's that he's got something going on below the surface that isn't really resolved. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I find him quite interesting. So that's the characters. Um, do you want to give, because I've just spoken for quite a long time there, do you want to give a a brief synopsis of the story? We, we can't describe the whole story because it's so bloody complicated, but we can give like a brief summary of yeah so i'll briefly uh go over the story i'm going to keep it very succinct yeah and this is my understanding of the story based on one playthrough there may have been subtleties that i lost your group of heroes kidnaps the princess the princess is trying to escape anyway because she's trying to get away from her villainous mother queen bran um who is waging war against the whole kingdom basically well, it's not a kingdom, the whole land, let's say. Yeah. So um, she's waging war against the land. And a lot of the beginning is just gathering characters while you try to work out how you're going to put a stop to the evil workings of Queen Bran. Um, then it starts to pick up a bit. And there's a few other characters introduced. There's Beatrix. Uh, did you did you talk about Beatrix? I didn't mention Beatrix. No, go. She's like a sub. She's like a sub character. So Beatrix, she's quite interesting as well because Similar to Steiner, isn't she? Within the her role. Yeah, so she's also very loyal to Queen Bran, and when you first fight her, she's this unstoppable force, and you really every single time you don't actually beat her once because when you get to the point where you've done enough, done enough damage, she just doesn't move, which wipes out your entire party. Um, so she is introduced and there's also Kuja, who is basically the game's large villain, yeah. although he's not introduced in such a way. No. He's kind of just introduced. Here's a character who turns out to be the villain. Kuja's um, interesting. I like Kuja. Yeah, he's, he's definitely an interesting character and basically it comes to a head. Queen Bran is taken out of the equation she's killed by kuja and yeah by kuja who's basically been using her and <laughs> it turns out that there's another planet and kuja's from the other planet and so zidane and there's also suddenly about three quarters of the way through uh another villain introduced called what's garland. his name garland yeah who looks like count dracula yeah, he disappeared and <laughs> And then you have to travel to the other planet by collecting various tokens and put a stop to Garland and Kuja before they destroy the world to really sum it up quickly. Yeah, that's that's basically it. The, everyone else um, has their, their big character arc throughout the game, whereas I think Zidane's comes towards the end where... Yeah, definitely. He finds out, plot twist, that um, he isn't... He isn't human. He was born on this other planet, which is also where Kuja was born. And they're basically brothers. And they were created to basically be angels of death 
to wipe out the planet that you play the game on, a planet called Gaia, so that the other planet, which is called Terra, can... Um, the, the, the genomes there, which is the race of what Kuja and Zidane are, the little monkey tail boys, um, <laughs> the genomes can take the souls of the dead from Gaia and put it into their bodies on Terra and then basically take um, take Gaia as their own, is their own planet. Um, and, you know, Kuja and Zidane are basically tests and yeah, it's it's very complicated to explain the whole thing, but I think that's a pretty good sum up of it. So it's it's very convoluted. Do you think it tells a good story? Yeah. If you think about it too much. Yeah, I think the story is good. And it also goes back to the differentiation between Final Fantasy seven, VII, eight and nine. Is that seven and eight were, you know, in these big city metropolises and were military and you know were a bit more modern whereas final fantasy 9 goes back to the the franchise's roots it's medieval it's more fantasy than sci-fi to some extent and i think that the story that they put together for that setting is a pretty decent one i like the fact that i like zidane's arc i like the fact that him and kuja are brothers and that kuja is this awful person who you know, wants to be the most powerful being in the world and they beat him because obviously he's the bad guy, they're the good guys. But at the end of the game, Zidane doesn't go with everyone else. He says, look, I want to go back to basically somewhat the centre of the earth, which is where Kuja is. Uh, He's beaten, but I don't want him to die on his own. And I I really like the way that the game ended. I don't know if I believed it after all the horrible things that Kuja did that you'd want to go back through all that peril surely it would have been more interesting if they posed the question whether or not you you save that person but then he walks away but with these with these old Final Fantasy games it's very much a story of good versus evil and if the good decision is in there you know that the character is going to take it yeah, I mean, if you if you hang around on the main menu on Final Fantasy IX for a while, it plays like um, a little what's like screensaver, I suppose, of each of the characters and a character trait of them. And Zidane's um, comes up. It says Zidane Virtue, and his quote is, "You don't need a reason to help people." And I think that his him going back to Kuja so that he doesn't die on his own, even though he's the worst, Zidane still doesn't want someone to, you know, be on their own at the end, you know what I mean? And you could also argue that Garnet did the same with Queen Bran. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I do take issue with um, one thing with the villains. They're both very much villainous for the longest time, but when when they've been beaten, they're lying there in defeat. And they both suddenly feel regret. Yeah, it's it's a classic. um, It's a classic enemy thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, but I just think it's not. It's not realistic, is it? It's not. It's not real depth, is it? To suddenly say, "Oh, I'm dying. It's been years of waging war. I've been defeated. I suddenly see the error of my my ways." Uh, I was trying to kill you earlier, Garnet, but. (laughs) Just, uh, just hold me. I'm, I'm looking at all of the um, 
all of the character quotes that I've just mentioned there. So I think they all link in quite well with the character um, personalities. So you've got Zidane, which is virtue. Uh, his quote being, you don't need a reason to help people. Steiner, his says dilemma. And his quote is, having sworn fealty, must I spend my life in servitude? You've got Garnet, which is devotion. Uh, and her quote is, someday I will be queen, but I'll always be myself. Kina, uh, which is the best one. Kina's <laughs> is indulgence. And it says, I do what I want. You have problem. Um, Vivi is sorrow and his quote is how do you prove that you exist maybe we don't exist Ico is solitude her quote being I don't want to be alone anymore Amarant is arrogance the only dependable thing about the future is uncertainty and then Freya is despair and hers says to be forgotten is worse than death and I think right. all of those link in quite well with the characters once you played the game you understand those quotes and those um separate things you know they're definitely consistent but i remember when i was uh at university because we we studied drama at university we both went on to drama school mm-hmm. um i remember that we were talking about character now the thing with character is a character is made up of their inconsistencies not their consistencies and I feel like this is something that games don't always do very well. Um, games are much happier to paint someone as this, and they be this throughout the entire game, and it's consistent with this word that they've been given. Uh, I think it's much more interesting. I think something like MGS does a much better job of painting the inconsistencies between characters. Yeah. With with games like MGS, like with Final Fantasy... I think this one was really the first game where there were not character arcs, but the relationships were a lot more solid because up until Final Fantasy V, they'd been very basic. Then Final Fantasy VI came along and that is a huge story with big characters. It's got the biggest character roster in any Final Fantasy game. Seven comes along and you get basic arcs for your characters eight comes along and you know they they go off down a new avenue where they explore the relationships between characters like squall and renoa a lot more and then final fantasy 9 comes along and each of these characters has their own emotion that they mostly work to their own journey i suppose and then from there the the, the relationships are always consistent with like you say with their emotion that they're mostly given and it kind of moves through that kind of arc if that makes sense so i think the games yeah. they came on a long way and then obviously you get to final fantasy 10 and you have a lot of different stuff you can use to show characterization such as facial um facial differences and obviously with voice acting as well with final fantasy 10 that was a big change I think yeah. for the PS1 era, Final Fantasy IX does the best in terms of characterization and character journeys and arcs. Yeah, I think what you've got, which I'm missing, is I have not played Final Fantasy VII or Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, I've played a, a smidgen of Final Fantasy VII. Um, so I don't know where where things were before for things to get to where they are in nine. I know that I looked back at 
graphically at seven. And I was saying that the backdrops in nine, the resolution of those backgrounds was quite low. And sometimes you couldn't really tell what the artistic vision was. So sometimes you'd be playing and you couldn't even see properly where you're supposed to go next because the routes aren't very clear because the picture is so muddied. Um, but then I looked at Final Fantasy VII and yeah, it's uh, it's well ahead of that. So it's a strange place to come from for me. Um, so what I I was I was I mentioned to you before one thing one big thing that I think Final Fantasy X does better than Final Fantasy IX is there's a real sense of journey because you start off in Final Fantasy X in one place and you are always moving to different places sometimes at different speeds but everywhere is new so you're seeing more and more of the world what where i started to question the sense of journey in final fantasy 9 was when you keep going back to limblum you keep going back to alexandria, alexandria and you go back to trainer yeah, is trainer. it uh and every time you go back to them I understand if you go back to them and a lot's changed and it's telling a story due to time past, but often it feels like the same environments that you're going to. So you don't feel like that journey's progressing. It's like in Lord of the Rings, if they get to Rivendell and then in, say, the Two Towers, they they go back to Rivendell. And then in Return of the King, they go all the way back to Rivendell. The story that they're telling of this long journey and you're looking back at all the places they've been, it doesn't quite work because when they finally do get back to Rivendell, that's when it feels like they're on their way back home. So I don't think it really does the best job of telling the story of this long journey, this adventure, because you keep stopping going back to the places you've been and it keeps giving you opportunities to keep going back to those places uh, i don't know what you think about that with final fantasy 9 it does that and i think the places that you do go in final fantasy 9 the, the cities the towns i think they're memorable like trino i think is incredibly yeah. memorable um you've got that other place i can't remember what it's called um but it's like bamicia no not bamicia like the, the the little town where all the dwarves live and you can read oh, yeah. that they've all clearly got Scottish accents. Whereas you do continue going back to Limblum and to Alexandria to see Regent Sid or to do you know, various different things. With Final Fantasy VIII, it has an element of that as well. You do go back to Balam Garden. You do go back to areas that you've been to towards the start of the game. Final Fantasy VII... So I, I don't think it's the case that this was an oversight and they're like, oh, we're running out of ideas, let's go back to these places because Final Fantasy VII doesn't really do that. You yeah. occasionally go back to certain areas, but that there's one area in Final Fantasy VII called Nibelheim, which is where Cloud is from. And you go there the first time in a memory when he's recounting something that happened years ago and then you go back again a few hours later in present day so there are elements of that in the older games such as final fantasy 7 but not to the extent that final fantasy 9 does it um but i can't comment on what that's like in final fantasy 10 because i don't remember final fantasy 10 that much i just remember that you start at zanakund and then the main aim of the game is to get back to zanakund 
Um, but yeah, it's a thousand years later or something, isn't it? Yeah, it does a really it does a really good job of telling the story of that journey, and very few areas do you return to, and certainly not the big cities really that you return to. And it was one of the first games that I played back then that really did a good job of telling the story of that journey. Because I think the thing with you're right, Trino is a, is a is a great setting. Uh, Alexandria is a great setting and Limblum is all right but every time you revisit them it diminishes that feeling a bit so that first time seeing somewhere and exploring that place it's gone the second time you think oh I'm here I know where I'm going I've already opened these chests because nothing really changes between playthroughs of those areas whereas if things have been drastically different and there was more to see and do I buy it, but yeah, that, that was just something that I had with it, an issue that I had. Because cause you, cause you only completed it today as well. Um, you didn't get a chance to do much of the side stuff, did you? No, so no. I'll, I'll go into that in a little detail just so we can say we've covered it. So I had a bit of an advantage on Dan with this one because I restarted Final Fantasy IX about three months ago and I got about four hours in and then I stopped playing. Um, so I picked it up from there because I played through the start of it so many times. I was like, I don't need to go back to the start. I can just carry on from here. So I was about four hours in. So I completed the story. It was probably about five or six days ago, wasn't it? I think I completed it last weekend. So I had a lot more time to go back and do other things as well. And with the current situation that we're in, um, with all being stuck inside in quarantine, I've had quite a lot of time to do that. So <laughs> I didn't do loads of stuff, but I went back to do some side stuff that I know particularly my friends have done and they were suggesting you know um have a look at this have a look at that and particularly one of my mates uh kenny he is a big fan of final fantasy 9 i think it's his favorite final fantasy game so he was telling me all this other stuff that i could do so one of the things that was a massive time sink for me before um well not before i completed the game i completed the game but then went back because there isn't a way that you can do open-end exploration when you've completed the game so you know what i mean i completed the game but then went back to a previous save um so i was doing the ultimate weapon collection for all the characters which you can find a majority of as you're going towards the final boss in memoria um you can pick up four or five of those ultimate weapons uh scattered around memoria just in chests and stuff um but then to get a few of the ultimate weapons you have to do something called Chocobo Hot and Cold, which is a mini game that you can start pretty early in the game when you go to the Chocobo Forest. And it's basically like a treasure hunt with a Chocobo. For the uninitiated, a Chocobo is like a big yellow ostrich thing. Um, they're, they're in all the Final Fantasy games. They're a staple of Final Fantasy Chocobos. Um, and you have to train up your chocobo to find more stuff so you can find more treasure. And then Garnet's ultimate weapon is located in a treasure chest in the sea. And Zidane's is as well. Um, so I did all of the chocobo hot and cold missions. And then once you get to the end of the chocobo hot and cold missions, you have the opportunity to go to, I think it's called Chocobo Garden or something like that. And there is... Because there are a few optional bosses in this game, as there are throughout all of Final Fantasy, uh, that you can miss. You don't have to do them. And the two big ones in Final Fantasy Nine are Hades. Did you fight Hades? No. Well, oh, Hades was... <clears throat> was in Memoria. 
I'll, I'll be completely honest. By by that point in the game, <laughs> by the time I got to Memoria, I was using a walkthrough. Ah, right. Because I, because I just wanted to finish it. So I did see that there was Hades. Um, but in the walkthrough, it said you, you had to uh, go behind a barrel or something. Yeah. And... Uh, I was looking for a barrel, but I didn't see a barrel, so I thought oh, I'm not messing around. I'm on a, I'm in a time constraint here. Fair enough. Got, got to get it done. So you, you've yeah. got Hades, who's an optional boss, which I did, and then when you get to the Chocobo Garden, there is um, there's like a secret cave thing that you can choose to select, and you get a few warnings, and then you get into a fight with the hardest boss in the game, uh, Ozma, which is like this weird multicolored sphere, and it can just it just smacks you in the face if you're not prepared for it. I tried it about three times and it just wiped the floor with me. And I was relatively high leveled. I was like, I just can't be asked with this, so I didn't finish it. What level did you um, get your characters to? They all vary because you use different squads at different times. So my main squad that I used when I could throughout the game was Zidane, Vivi, Freya, and Garnet. So my main right. squad. Freya was my highest leveled character and she was 67 and then the rest of those guys were um, early to mid 60s I'd say. What were yours? Um, so I had the same team except that I used Steiner instead of Freya yeah. and my highest character was Vivi who was 59 Okay. Uh, Zid- Zidane was 57 or 58 um, Garnet or Dagger was 55 or 56 and Steiner was 50 or 51 I think okay um but he his attack power is quite good um so this is this is something because like you said you're using different characters at different times in the game sometimes you won't return to a group of characters for a very long time so your characters that you've been using have already leveled up there was a point in the game where I really did a lot of grinding with Zidane and I got him like 10 levels above everyone else but then Vivi caught up with him um but I went back and suddenly I had Steiner who was like level 15 or 16 yeah whereas everyone else was close to level 30 and I think it forces you down a certain path where you have to use certain characters unless you're willing to really spend the time to level up those characters that have been maybe a bit neglected yeah so I don't know. I don't know if it's a. I don't know if it's an oversight or deliberate or I don't know. It just felt like, why would I want to use these characters in 2020 when I can use these characters that are already leveled up? Maybe back in 2000, I would have had the extra time to actually level up those characters over there. But I'm just going to stick with the characters that are working the best for me. I'm. I can't remember if it's an oversight for the games because part of me thinks that with Final Fantasy 7 when you're going through the game if you're not levelling up your characters I have a feeling that they continue to level up without you not as fast as you will but a little bit I can't remember if that's the case though I'll have to I've do definitely seen games where they do do that yeah I mean it, it, it's not unheard of is it but no I know what you mean it is an annoyance and especially um, if you for some reason can't use a character for a while and you have to get someone else in your party and they're like 12 levels below everyone else you're just a bit like ah uh, like you, you come to resent them a little bit because you don't want to use them because they're so weak yeah i mean there was a period um where you don't use dagger for a while she was level six 
and the rest of the characters were <laughs> close to level 20. And I had to, because she's one of the only ones that can use healing, yeah. I had to level her back up. Um, yeah, it was just a bit of an annoyance, I'd say. That, you mentioning healing, that's, um, that reminds me of something that I said I'd mention in this episode, um, which is, I, I just mentioned uh, one of my mates is a big fan of Final Fantasy IX. And he, he knows that we're doing this review. And he said, I was thinking about the review and I thought about something why I love the game. So I was like, yeah, go on, I'll include it. Uh, what is it? And he said that unlike other and more recent Final Fantasy games, um, I like that it's truly an RPG and that you have a fixed mage, a fixed warrior, a fixed thief. So there's no option to make everyone a master of everything like in Final Fantasy VII or in Final Fantasy VIII. Um, you know, you can give everyone summons and everyone magic. It's not an option. And I think that is a big part of Final Fantasy IX going back to the series roots in that that's how it always was. There was a mage, there was a thief, there was a, you know, a tank, uh, there was a white mage, etc. Um, I yeah. thought I'd include that as well because I think it's a good point that Final Fantasy VII and VIII had shied away from that. But then Final Fantasy IX, like I say, I feel is a celebration of the of the series and its roots brings that element back into the game yeah i think specialized classes are definitely something that um are good in japanese rpgs it's good to have those specialized classes otherwise you're just going to stick with the characters that you like the most and you'll just level them in a certain way well that's it i mean um, with um because you used vivian steiner in your squad you said um when yeah. you put those together they can work really well together because you can have VV cast spells on Steiner's sword, which then increases the, his damage output on specific um, specific bad guys. You know, so VV and Steiner, there's an incentive to have them working together. Yeah. Um, so one other thing that you know that I was frustrated with was the world map. I just thought, and 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 to be completely fair to the game, this is a point that is based on when the game came out, when the game was made. It was limitations due to the time. Um, but I, I did find it troublesome nevertheless. Uh, so basically, when you're on the world map, you get a kind of zoomed out view and your character's very large. It's the way that the, the game represents travelling long distances uh, easily. And my problem with it was, number one, it looks hideous. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, it gives you no guidance. There are, there are a few occasions where I was told I had to go to this place. I didn't know where this place was. So I was running around hoping to come across it. Um, there was one time where, this was it, when I was trying to look for the Lost Continent, is it called? Yes. Yeah, so I was looking for the Lost Continent. Really, what you have to do is you have to go to a certain marshland, which has been an optional area in the past. I'd already visited that area in the past, so I thought, well, that can't be the... Um, the entrance to it so i went all the way past that i went all the way through a long cave cavern area that i've been through before all the way to the very edge of this island then i realized that it was back at this marsh so i had to travel all the way back but there was no guidance there's nothing to tell you where these things are the the map that you can bring up is nigh on useless unless you're using the airship but when you're walking around it's pretty rubbish i don't know what you think about that the overworld for both Final Fantasy, well, for all three on the PS1, Final Fantasy 7, 8, and 9, same with 6 as well, actually, they're all very similar. 
they're all just big landscapes that um you know they're there to just be traversed and they're not always particularly easy i mean if um if we do do final fantasy 7 um because we've discussed potentially doing that at some point haven't we with a few other other games if you additional games yeah, yeah. If, if you do the overworld on that i think you'll hate it even more uh, oh fantastic <laughs> but it's an older game um but i get where you're coming from but the the thing that i like about the overworld because i understand what what you're saying in terms of that and there are gripes i have with it but i think the music in the overworld makes it bearable i think that the the overworld music i think it's called over those hills or something like that is one of the best pieces of music in the game and i think that can quite easily bring us on to discussing the soundtrack yeah i really really like the music in this game like big time soundtrack's good um would you say the same yeah i'd I'd say that the soundtrack is good that's that's probably the word i'd use to describe it there's some really memorable stuff in there and it's a bit offbeat um you've got the the quirky the quirky there's there's two uh minor villains in the game which are the two jesters and and they've got their own theme and it's really uh, quite good and i really beatrix has got her own theme I think that's great. And there's a theme that they use for Dagger and Zidane when they're together, which is nice as well. Yeah, there's some really good stuff in here. It's um I mean, the 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 composer for the soundtrack is the guy that has done a majority of the Final Fantasy games, a guy called Nobu uh Nobuo Uematsu. Um and I think especially for the probably butchered that pronunciation. Thank you very much. Um <laughs> I think particularly for the PS one games he was he really smashed it. Final Fantasy VIII has got some fantastic pieces of music in there as well, and Final Fantasy VII does have some really really decent music for specific parts. But as much as Final Fantasy VII is my favourite, I think that the music in Final Fantasy IX might be the best out of those three because I'm I'm putting these three games in their own category because they came out around the same time and they're all on the PS One. So without comparing them to yeah. Um, but I think out of those three, Final Fantasy IX has the best music, beaten only out of the games I've played, and in my, in my opinion, Final Fantasy VI. I think Final Fantasy VI got the best soundtrack out of all of them. Yeah, I've I've heard um, parts of Final Fantasy VI soundtrack, and it sounds great. Um, okay, I'm just just aware of time. So this game is number sixty eight on the list. And it is the only Final Fantasy on the list. Uh, does it deserve its place? Does it deserve to be the only Final Fantasy on the list? And what are your overall thoughts about the game? I think it does deserve to be on the list, but I don't think it deserves to be the only Final Fantasy game on the list. It's The thing is, I, I was thinking about this and saying, oh, do, do I think this game should be on the list? Do I not? And I was really arguing with myself about it. But I think that it, it it has its place here. I think it's one of the stronger games in the series. I think the reason for it being on this list, like I said at the start of the episode, is because of the time that it came out and reviews were becoming online reviews were becoming a, a lot bigger as the internet was taking off, etc. But yeah, I, I think it's got its place here. I don't think it should be the only one from Final Fantasy on this list, but I think it's got its place i would question it if it was higher on this list if it was maybe in the top 30 or something i'd be like "Eh, maybe not 
but 68 I think is a good place for it to be and overall like I said I've played this game before I'd never completed it up until now I'd played about three quarters of it but I really enjoyed it and I'd say this is probably up there now with one of my favorite Final Fantasy games I'd say what about you yeah to me it's astounding that a series with such pedigree as Final Fantasy has only got one game on the top 100 yeah, list agreed. given the history mm. uh I've got mixed feelings about it but I also want to state that I was playing this with time constraints if I was doing this in my own time I think I'd have enjoyed it a lot more my own pace but conversely I may have given up on it I don't know um but yeah I was playing it under that time constraint and I'd rather have not been doing that and done it in my own time done some of the side stuff spent longer leveling up just done it in a way that suits me. What I would say is that we didn't mention some of the settings. They've got some really good settings in here. I particularly like Bamesia, the art style of it, and also Memoria. Yeah, Memoria. I think is cool. they've got. It was, it's so cool. I, I was playing it last night and I thought, this is a really cool setting. Mm. Then there's some really drab settings like you mentioned the the scottish dwarf yeah. village i think that's terribly generic and Ico's brown village and... as well Imagine yeah Sarai and... or whatever it is i just thought those areas could have been injected with a bit more imagination um and i know that this is a lot of people's favorite final fantasy so when i was looking on youtube for this i saw that number of people were explaining why this was the best one why this was their favorite so um obviously with nostalgia that that isn't going to be the case with me but i can fully understand why some people do find it as their favorite um so what i what i've said to you since very early on in the game is i've played a lot of jrpgs not just from the final fantasy series which actually i've played probably less of i played some of them but um i've played a lot in the tales series i've played the shadow heart series i've played a lot of one-off rpgs as well xenoblade things like that and i <clears throat> i find it very difficult to say that it's better than all of those games maybe it's better than some of them but not all of them and because they use such similar formula formulas rpgs jrpgs you have to really it's very easy, easy to judge them against each other. And for example, I've been playing, when I've been playing this, I've been thinking about the Shadow Hearts game so much. I've been listening to the soundtracks when I've been working in the day. I just think they're such a quirky, offbeat, dark JRPG series that I can't wait to get back and play now. Um, so does it deserve to be there over other games? I don't know. Um, to me, no, but to other people, I'm sure the answer is yes. I think I said to you before that the two words that I'd use to describe this game are very good. I think it sits firmly around that 85 that the PS4 version got. I think that was right for me. Um, in the same vein, I could probably recommend it to other people that are fans of JRPGs. I think if you like JRPGs, this is still a solid JRPG that you can get into. There aren't going to be many major hang-ups for it being a 20-year-old game because 
those JRPG foundations really haven't changed that much. So you can go back and play it and enjoy it. And when you do unlock the airship on the world map, sometimes it, it feels ahead of its time. But then sometimes you drag kicking and screaming back down to earth and you're reminded that this is a very old game. Um, so I think it does belong on the list because it's good to have a Final Fantasy represented on there. It's not my favourite Final Fantasy of the ones I've played. And like I said, I don't have that much experience with Final Fantasy. Ten is probably my favourite. That's the ones that I've played. Um, but then that would be superseded by other JRPGs anyway. But I can understand why people have it on the list, but it wouldn't be on my list. What I think what we're going to realise the more games that we play on this list is that even though this is classed as the top 100 games of all time, I think that we're going to find that we're going to disagree with quite a lot of these. Because, oh, like yeah. you say, there are better JRPGs out there than Final Fantasy IX. There are better J- uh, JRPGs out there than Final Fantasy VII. I've heard that Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, uh, Chrono Cross sorry, yes. are absolutely incredible. But I don't think they're on this list. But And Vagrant Story is another one that I've heard yeah, about heard in the same story. breath. We, 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 this isn't the only JRPG on the list, though. And this brings us quite nicely to the fact that there's been a change on this list. Um of the yes. past two weeks so as you may remember which you're not very happy about no. are you so <laughs> I, I, I've been saying to Dan for a while that I thought that there would be a few changes on this list and you said yeah maybe but you didn't think there was going to be anything major because the list is mostly I thought there was certain yeah I thought certain big games might might shift the list around um, we both thought that The Last, Last of Us part two. part 2 might do that but as we now know, that has been delayed, delayed indefinitely. indefinitely. So, so yeah. So, uh, what has happened is another game has snuck onto the list underneath my radar and underneath yours as well, which is uh, Persona Five: The Royal, and that's got a score of ninety-five. And in the process, it has knocked out which game? Metal Gear Solid Three. I can't <laughs> believe it. Just hearing the bitterness and the sadness in your Why voice. So the so so just to clarify, the very best Metal Gear Solid game Which is lowest on the list. has been kicked off the list. Yeah, yeah. Apart from four, has been kicked off the list. And now we have to play another hundred hour RPG. Was, but to be fair, the Persona series is good. I was um I was talking to um to Kenny, the guy that I was talking to about Final Fantasy Nine about this yesterday or the day before, because he's been talking to me about um you know, finishing a few games before Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out because he's looking forward to playing that. And he said, oh, I've got um, I've got Persona 5, um, so I'm not sure when I'm going to start playing that. And I said, I think it's a pretty long game, mate. And he was like, oh, really? And I, yeah. I looked it up. And so the, the main story for Final Fantasy IX was considered it could take between 50 to 60 hours. We've come below that, which is good. Persona 5 is... The main story is ninety six and a half hours. Yeah. I. What? What? <laughs> That's such a long. So game. I played about fifteen to twenty hours of Persona Five. I just, I don't know. I just didn't have the drive to carry on with it because sometimes with these huge games, you really need the determination or the hook to play them. It looks interesting, and it just didn't hook me. Then it, it looks really yeah, interesting. Yeah, the art style is quality. 
but I just don't know if I've got 96 and a half hours of me to play a game. That's a long well, time. Well, we're just going to have to plan that one well ahead of time and just do other shorter games around that time, aren't that'll we? Be a, that'll be a long burner. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's Final Fantasy IX done and in the bag. Yes. So, um, what, we, what we've talked about is probably when we finished going through the games on this list, we're going to do 10 games each that we would personally add to the list. So you do your 10, mm-hmm. I do my 10 that I think should be there. So that's going to it's going to yield some interesting uh games thrown into there. Yeah, we've already we've um, already suggested a few to each other, haven't we? Yes. Um and obviously probably Metal Gear Solid 3 would also be there because yeah. we're both huge fans of that game. Honorable mention. Um Yeah. Yeah, I suppose yeah, they're honorable mentions, aren't they? Uh, okay, so let, let's wrap wrap up the episode there. It's, it's been a very long one. Yes. If you stuck with us for all this time, then congratulations. You get to know what the um, next episode is. Yes. So, the next episode is going to be my pick, which is the great GoldenEye. Is it still great today? Oh, I think so. I think it's pretty damn good. It's the first Nintendo I don't know. platform game that we've played as well, isn't it? Obviously, it's not a Nintendo game, but it's the first um, first game that we're going to be playing. Yeah. Well, universally, well, it's Nintendo synonymous console. with it's synonymous with Nintendo because obviously it's not it's never gone on any other console apart from emulated on PC. Yeah, it's so um, we'll both be playing it on N sixty four. The N sixty four. When you think of the N sixty four, I think. A lot of people will immediately think of Ocarina of Time and Goldeneye. Those are the two big yeah. titles for the Nintendo, and Goldeneye's a big game as well. Like a lot of people have got a lot of nostalgia for Goldeneye, so I think it will be quite an interesting one to go so back much. to. Um, not yeah, a particularly definitely. long game, but we'll cr- well we'll crack that out within the next. You'll have to complete so. it now. Exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get it finished by Friday. Because I completed it for you last time, didn't yeah, I? That's it. I got stuck in the. Um, I can't remember what the level's called, but it's when the, the tally is doing all that stuff on the computer and you've got people running in. Oh, the complex. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's annoying. But yeah, I'll try and get that finished yeah, by I... Friday because that'll be when, hopefully, I'll have my hands on Final Fantasy VII Remake, which will probably be taking up quite a lot of my time. You don't get to play that. This this has got to come first, right? Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I'm joking. You know, we're, we're getting paid for this. This is, uh, this is professional. We're not getting paid. <laughs> If anyone wants to pay us. There's all that coronavirus time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we've be... got more than enough time to play many games at the moment, so it's all good. Okay, let's let's sign off. Uh, I'm sure you don't need to hear 20 minutes more of us speaking. So, thanks for sticking around. Continue to share. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't listened to the other ones, go back and listen yeah, to them. You, the ones that you like. You can find us on YouTube, on Dan's YouTube channel, The Subtext where the podcasts are being uploaded with uh, video gameplay in the background. You can catch us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere else that you pick your podcasts up from. We're on Twitter if you want to reach out to us or give us any feedback or any ideas of games that you want us to play. I know that we've had a uh, request in from one of your mates recently, haven't we? Yeah, we did uh, Tony Hawk's at the request of someone. Mm, And I think one of your other friends is... um, Put out that he wants us to do another game as well. Ah, uh, God of War. <laughs> so I know, I know, I know, I know your today. friends better than you know them apparently. But yeah, you, you've had someone get in touch with us about God of War, haven't you? 
Oh yeah, yeah. That's so true. that could yeah, be that's on the horizon one. soon. But yeah, on Twitter we are yes. at the long short of. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. Reach out for feedback. Please share. Please, if you enjoyed it, let us know. Give us a uh, a follow or a subscribe or a little thumbs up or a comment. Just something to let us know that you're there. And uh, we'll see you for Goldeneye. Yep. See you on the next one. Bye. Remember to wash your hands. Bye.